For tuning in to the 176th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or WJCU in the morning. Being recorded on a Thursday. Thursday night, I will release this podcast. This podcast will be out Friday, and it will be on the radio, the John Carroll Radio Station, uh, Saturday morning. So, going to have a great show for you today. Going to have Jeff Lloyd on. He's the host of the Locked On Browns podcast. Me and Jeff had a great conversation. We got his opinion on the Miles Garrett-Mason Rudolph incident that kind of overtook the NFL world on Thursday Night Football. We talked a lot about Baker. He also dropped some of his thoughts on some of the other quarterbacks in the class that Baker Mayfield came out in 2017. He talked about guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, as those are all guys the Browns were looking at at that time. So he kind of dished out a little bit of that, talked about head coach Kevin Stefanski, Freddie Kitchens, Hugh Jackson. We delved into a lot of stuff, and I want to thank Jeff Floyd for coming on. Now, also I want to say, since I will not get to say this since the 4th of July is on Saturday, it's going to be on Saturday, I just want to sell how... Uh, tell everybody, I hope you all have a happy, safe, fun, sound 4th of July. When people are listening to this on John Carroll Radio Station, it's going to be the 4th of July. So I hope everybody has a great 4th of July. I hope if your state is closed, that you're not going out places and you're social distancing. If your state's open, I hope you're having a good time and you're out in uh, fireworks. Be safe. You don't want to blow off your hand. That's what happened to Jason Peter Paul. We don't want that. That's not good at all. So just want to say that. Now, here's what I want to get into. So, this past week, everybody's been talking about, this is the anniversary of the decision. It's about a year from the decision. When LeBron James decides to leave Cleveland to go to Miami. And it's so interesting. Because I there's flashpoint moments in your life that you remember, right? People remember what they were doing during 9-11. People remember where they were when they heard Kobe Bryant died. To a lesser extent, to a more... Uh, you know, easier to take in extent when it's just purely sports. There's moments we remember, right? Sure, if you're a Bills fan, you remember where Scott, what happened, where you were when Scott Norwood missed the kick. Pretty sure you remember where you were. If you're a Lakers fan, you're a Kobe fan, you probably remember Game Seven, Lakers versus Celtics. You probably remember where you were, what you were doing. I remember what was going on, kind of around the time of the decision, right? Because it was a flashpoint moment for me as a sports fan. So this is a 2010, it's the summer. I remember I'm actually at a Madai basketball camp. And I remember I see on TV that whole day, Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh signed with the Miami Heat. It's widely expected LeBron will go to the Heat too. Now, I expected, personally for me as a naive sports fan at that time, that maybe LeBron would come back and he would end up not. We saw teams like the Knicks clearing up cap space for years to try to get LeBron to come. And another interesting note, and I, just, and I saw this on Bleacher Report a couple days ago, and I think it's very important to mention it. When LeBron was having meetings with the Chicago Bulls, having meetings with the Chicago Bulls, apparently Joe Kim Noah tried to call LeBron, and LeBron just straight up ghosted the guy. 
And Joe Kim Noah, for all of you who don't know, Joe Kim Noah is one of the most hated people in Cleveland. It, if you talk to Cleveland Cavaliers fans, it's Joe Kim Noah. It's Draymond Green 1. It's Joe Kim Noah 2 for who people hate in Cleveland. <laughs> Those are two names that come to mind. So it's kind of no surprise that LeBron ghosts Joe Kim Noah. Also considering that year the Cavs beat the Chicago Bulls 4-1 to in the NBA playoffs. And after they lose the series, the Bulls lose the series, Joe Kim Noah's like, I ain't never heard anything good about Cleveland. When somebody goes on vacation, do they say I'm going to Cleveland? Well, Joe Kim, no, I've gone to vacation with my family to Cleveland, or at least a little getaway. So people do go to Cleveland, right? Uh, but that's only if you live in Buffalo, I guess. So you have that dynamic. And it's really interesting, too. Just imagine if LeBron James and Dwayne Wade go to Chicago and team up with Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah. That's basically the Warriors. That is basically the Warriors, right? You have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. You want to know what's better than that or just as good as that? Having Derrick Rose, who that year, that next season, would end up winning league MVP. Having LeBron James and Dwayne Wade both in the heart of their primes. And having Joe Kim Noah, who's kind of a Draymond Green type, a great defensive player, can do a lot of the dirty work. It's basically the Chicago Bulls. That's basically what it is. The Chicago Bulls are basically the Warriors if that happens. And it's crazy to think how NBA history changes. Now, we get to the night of the decision. I remember where I am. I'm upstairs watching the game. I'm uh, watching the, the decision. And in my house. And Jim Gray is interviewing LeBron James. And their, uh, their rapport was kind of off. It obviously seemed like LeBron never heard of Jim Gray, didn't know Jim Gray, and vice versa. And apparently there was some stuff on Stuart Scott they... ESPN wanted Stuart Scott to do it, but uh, LeBron's people picked Jim Gray. So the interview kind of went a little sideways. There was no rapport. Obviously, they weren't necessarily the most comfortable around each other. And that also decision, it ended up being the highest rated studio show in ESPN history, non-game related, which is impressive in itself, considering that from what I remember the interview, the interview was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was crap. Basically, it, it was like, they're teasing the whole time, and you just want to know where LeBron is officially going, but they're just getting into a bunch of minutia that nobody really cares about. So we have that. And the interview's really awkward, like I said. And then LeBron does the most famous quote, because this is where we go with the decision, right, when he announced he's going to South Beach. LeBron has four quotes that kind of encompass decision and thereafter, and it comes full, full circle. And you'll remember these. If I just tell you the names of these quotes, you'll know what I'm talking about. When we relive the decision. One, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. If I say that, you know what I'm talking about. That's the night of the decision. <laughs> Two, the second quote, not one. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. You're exactly going to know who I'm talking about and what was going on at the Miami Pep Rally after decision. Then there's, it's about damn time when LeBron wins his first championship in 2012 against the Oklahoma City Thunder. And then it caps off the decision and kind of this whole journey that LeBron goes through with Cleveland, this is for you. 
when the Cavaliers beat the Golden State Warriors, they come back from 3-1 down to win the series in seven games. And it kind of goes how LeBron, the prodigal son, grew up in Akron, the Northeast Ohio area, leaves, spurns them to go to Miami, comes back to Cleveland and wins them a championship. It's a storybook ending, kind of. There's the Dan Gilbert angle, who makes, and I'll put it nicely, racially charged comments a, a little bit about LeBron that weren't very appropriate, and he probably should have had, you, you know when, you have, when you're really rich, you have a guy that tells you, you probably shouldn't post this or say this? Dan Gilbert wasn't talking to that guy last night because he came across terribly. As bad as LeBron came across, it's like, LeBron, what were you doing? Dan Gilbert came across bad in a whole nother way and a lot more devious way. And there's the whole Dan Gilbert thing that's going on, which is actually very surprising that LeBron ever went back to Cleveland considering that. So there's all these many angles and story plots that happen with the decision. Not to mention that it leads to the player empowerment era and the LeBron James era that becomes the 2010s. From 2010 to 2020, it's LeBron's era and it's the player empowerment era. You see Kevin Durant. He leaves Oklahoma City. And if we go back to 2010, right? So LeBron leaves Cleveland to go to Miami. You know what happens the next year, the 2011 year? There's all this talk. Carmelo Anthony wants out of Denver. He gets traded to the New York Knicks. Then the year after that, 2012, all this talk. Chris Paul, CP3, he wants out of New Orleans. Goes Apparently there's a trade to the Lakers. David Stern nicks it. And maybe that had to do a little bit with the LeBron decision. Dan Gilbert and people were in Dan Gilbert's ear. Uh, Dan Gilbert and people like that were in David Stern's ear. We do not want players running the league. We don't want players leaving small markets like New Orleans to big markets like L.A. Similarly to kind of how LeBron did from Cleveland to Miami, David Stern nicks it. Chris Paul ends up going to the Los Angeles Clippers. So we're already starting to see a trend here. Then it goes to 2016 where Kevin Durant leaves Oklahoma City, goes to the Golden State Warriors. You also see that during that time where you see Dwight Howard leaving Orlando and going to the Lakers. Where we see a bunch of big name stars. Great players, top players in the league at the time, right? All wanting to leave their small markets to nicer weather, bigger market cities with more opportunities. And that's kind of what LeBron inspired. LeBron made it okay for somebody like Kevin Durant to leave. LeBron made it okay for a guy like Kawhi Leonard to say, I just won the championship and I'm not going to run it back with my team in Toronto. I'm just going to go to the Clippers because I'm happier there. For the sole purposes, I'm happier there. That's all Kawhi needs to say. That's because of LeBron. Happiness, what you're prioritizing, you want to play with your friends and you want to have better marketing opportunities, you want to play with a better team, a better organization, you're just not happy there. You're not feeling the situation you have, so you're going to go to a situation you like. That's the evolution we see through the years. So the decision, it changed NBA history. You can make an argument for better or for worse. I think for better, it's one of the most interesting subplots of the history of the NBA, and uh, we're never going to forget about it. So I just wanted to drop that on what I think of the decision since everybody else was talking about it. Just give my thoughts on it. Now, coming up next, after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Jeff Lloyd, host of the Locked On Browns podcast. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk.
back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us today, Jeff Lloyd, the host of the Locked on Browns podcast. How you doing, Jeff? Uh, we're good. We're good. You know, um, obviously just, you know, everybody trying to find their way with, you know, obviously the way the, the country is right now. Um, but, you know, any chance you can take a break and maybe, you know, talk sports and try to enjoy something, uh, you know, just kind of jump on the opportunity, so to speak, I guess. So big NFL news happens at the beginning of the week. Cam Newton goes to the Patriots. But what's really interesting about that is apparently he was in kind of talks with the Browns. I just want to know what you think of that. Does that say something about Baker Mayfield? The fact that they would kind of be, you know, interested in looking at Cam. I think, and this is where it's been a little bit different now for Cleveland and even maybe somewhat last offseason. They're in a position now where maybe they are more appealing to free agents. In years past, obviously, you know, the free agent list, um, you, know, would, you know, every year would come out free agency was started, and there was players that just would have zero interest in being part of this franchise. I think that's changed a little bit now. I think, um, and with the new front office, the way it's assembled, the fact that it's younger, the fact that it's you know diverse as far as race, it, it, it's opened up the opportunities for them to find their ways to maybe get to players that in years past wouldn't even given them the time of day. Do I think there was a lot there? Um, Probably not. And, you know, for Cam Newton, I mean, you know, when you get to this point and you are Cam Newton at 31 years old, you're looking for the opportunity. Look, you don't really want to go somewhere and wear a baseball hat. You want to go somewhere where you can possibly be the starting quarterback. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about the Chargers, but the Chargers obviously drafted a quarterback early. They were going to do that regardless. So it was going to give him instant competition. It seemed the one real spot where you'd have a chance to essentially walk in and be the best quarterback in the room would be New England. For the Browns, though, and look, it's, you know, they're still trying to, you know, you know court uh, Jadavian Clowney, so to speak. They've got they've got their hands in on a lot more guys than they did in the past and keeping the lines of communication open. Um, and that's what happens when, you know, you start to turn a corner, you know, for this team to won 13 games over the last two seasons. That's a pretty, you know, strong amount for them. Um, you have the talent, the roster that's there. Obviously, there's a lot of players on this team now as opposed to years past. There's an opportunity now for them to branch out and try to get to talk to some of these free agents that you know would have never you know given them the opportunity before. Now, and I think one of the reasons that I feel like the Browns are talked about more, they're more of a national story, they're more of a headline, is because of Baker Mayfield. Uh, and he's at an interesting point in his career because he has the, the rookie year where he, I believe he breaks Peyton Manning's record for touchdown passes, really good, kind of energizes and give, gives life to that organization. Then this past year, through a ton of picks, uh, was really inconsistent, wasn't that great, and this is his third year. How, just encapsulate this for everybody, how big of a year is this for Baker Mayfield in terms of his standing in Cleveland? Uh, I think there's really no way you can, you know, basically, you know, dance around the fact that it's big year. Um, you know, you went from the darling that he was in 2018, you know, very conceivably could have been the rookie of the year. Um, but just then, you know, obviously now became a national story, all the commercials, things of that nature. And then you look at the amount that was put on that team's plate going into the 2019 season on the cover of the Sports Illustrated preview issue. But look, all of this comes down to, and with really any, any NFL team with their success, is what do you have in the quarterback position? The Browns felt really strongly in 2019 what they had. Um, the coaching staff they put together, they, they kind of patchworked together a coaching staff. It wasn't really a bunch of guys that knew each other. Um, they weren't able to address a couple of huge positions on that offensive line. The both tackle spots were weak. Um, Baker was able to overcome that in 2018. 2019, he was not able to overcome it. Um, but to himself, you know, he said he didn't play his best ball. Um, obviously, you know, 21 interceptions, that's not going to fly for any quarterback in this league. 
Um, but this year they went out and made it easier for him. Uh, you know, they gave him back. You know, the you know he's going to get David Njoku back, who was a big part of the success in 2018. Austin Hooper, he uh, always had success with tight ends. People don't think about that at Oklahoma because the style of the offense they ran. But he and Mark Andrews had a great relationship down there. He's really comfortable throwing to the tight end. You have Nick Chubb. You're going to have a full season of Kareem Hunt here. So. There's not going to be any excuses if it doesn't work out this year. Um, you know, this front, this front office and everything that's been assembled here. They obviously coach was co- uh, co- coach with uh, coach Kevin Stefanski. They had interviewed him the year before as a possible head coaching uh, candidate. There was times where they interviewed him as a possible offensive coordinator. They have a lot of faith in Coach Stefanski. So if it does not go right this year, it's going to be a lot more on Baker Mayfield than it's certainly going to be on Coach Kevin Stefanski. So if this season goes awry for any reason, you think Baker be, could be potentially the one on the hot seat, not Kevin Stefanski? Yeah, I mean, what you're going to get into is you're going to get into whether or not Baker would have his fifth-year option picked up, you know, you know, which would be you know about a year from April or so. Um, and he doesn't play well. It could turn out maybe his fourth year in Cleveland could be his last, or he could end up in a position where he is you know, essentially playing for his contract extension earlier. Um, but, yeah, he's, it, it's going to be tough because if, if this offense doesn't succeed with the amount of moves they've made on the offensive line, tight end position, wide receiver, running back, everything they put here, the question, and without, I mean, it's, it, it, there's only one way for that domino to fall, and it's going to fall on the quarterback. Now, the interesting thing about this, too, is I want to know what your thoughts are because coming into this past year, we were all expecting a big year from the Browns, and Baker in particularly really regressed. And I just want to know, why do you think that happened? Because it's crazy. Like, if his if his 2019 season happened in 2018 and then his 2018 happened in 2019, we'd all be like, this is the normal progression for a young quarterback. You struggle, you take your lumps your first year, then you get better. But the fact that it happened the opposite way, I guess, is the kind of concerning part. So what do you think is the biggest reason for him taking that step back? Well, first things first, Al, and that is actually a great way you put it. If, you know, I mean, you look at where Sam Darnold was his rookie year as opposed to the way, the way he finished up 2019. People would say, you know, this is the way it's supposed to go. Um, but part of it was on Baker. Look, Baker's never really been in a situation where he had to struggle much. Um, obviously, his road from Texas Tech to Oklahoma and being overlooked in that respect, you know, and, you know that you know was a, a challenge for him. But on the field, he's never really had challenges. Uh, he's always been a successful player uh, all through Oklahoma, right into his rookie year here. You got into last year, and part of it, I mean, it was, it was, there's a number of factors. Um, part of it was the offensive line. You know, Greg Robinson, Chris Hubbard didn't play nearly as well as they did in 2018 which was expected. I mean, these were average players. They played above average in 2018. Most likely they were going to regress in 2019, which they did. So he was taking a lot of hits that he just wasn't ready for. Um, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, as great as a wide receiver duo as they are, they were really only practicing. You know, Jarvis sometimes made it out for Thursday. Most of the time they only got their work on in on Friday. So there was a lot of the timing that wasn't there. Dave and Njoku were short Higgins. In 2018, these two players combined for 97 receptions. In 2019, they combined for nine receptions. So Baker just had a cast that he wasn't as comfortable with. Freddie Kitchens um, had an offensive coordinator that he wasn't essentially listening to. They weren't working in unison. They would script plays. And you want to know what? Week in, week out, the first drive or so for the Cleveland Browns looked pretty good. Then after that, they were calling things that just weren't in the sheet. And most of the stuff wasn't being worked on on Friday when you had the limited amount of practice time where Odell and Jarvis were there. We would sit there so many times on Monday morning and we'd hear, oh, well, this guy ran the wrong route, this guy ran the wrong route. And it just seemed really, really strange. Like, how are so many professionals running the wrong routes? Then we come out to find that these guys were running the wrong routes because essentially stuff that was being called is stuff that wasn't practiced or these guys 
were lined up in a position where they weren't normally lined up when they called this play. So it led to just a lot of you know problems from that way. Um, and then you know once I think because all the promise that was on this franchise, and then once you know the bloom came off the rose, which was probably that week five Monday night game in San Francisco where they just walked in and got walloped. I think basically the air was out of the balloon at that point, Daryl. And I think these guys just realized that they weren't as good as maybe they thought they were, as uh, everybody you know covering football thought they were, realized there was going to be a lot of work to be done. It, it sadly didn't work out. Freddie was in over his head. Then the defense just started to mount up injury after injury. Then you go and lose a player like Miles Garrett for six games. And it just became too much for this offense to handle, realizing that they were going to have to carry the defense, who was now you know devoid of players. It was just there was no talent left on the defensive side of the ball, and the offense never really had any cohesion going throughout the entire season. And I think at that point, you know, you hate to say that any guys gave up, but I think mentally they realized that they were not going to achieve the goals they thought they were going to achieve in the 2019 season. So I'm hearing this correctly. You are saying that the plays after the first scripted plays of like their first of their first couple series after that they weren't calling the same plays that they had been practicing all week no it got really it, it, it kept really 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 weird and even Todd Monken had spoke on this and you know, they ran with the scripted plays and, and then even even in that week five game that I'm referring to against San Francisco Antonio Callaway had been suspended for the first four weeks of the season obviously Antonio Callaway's career is you know fizzled and you know gone now they brought him right back threw him right into the fire First three plays he was on the field, um, he did not block the correct person on a reverse. Um, then they throw him the ball at you know, the three-yard line. He goes down, kicks the ball up into the air, gets intercepted by San Francisco. They had no structure of what they were doing. Um, and it just, it, 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 there was no rhyme or reason. No play led to anything else. And the one thing that they always had that was a constant was Nick Chubb. But they never truly decided, hey, let's just work through the running game. We'll work off of the running game. A lot of times, you know, they would throw the ball over the field. Next thing you know, it would be 10 nothing. They're on the wrong end, losing 10 nothing. They'd get Nick Chubb involved, and they'd get the game back closer. Then they would start throwing the ball over the place again with no rhyme or reason of what they were doing. Things were getting covered. Balls were getting intercepted. And like you said, guys were running the wrong routes just because they weren't familiar with the plays that were actually being called. So, and the way you're making it sound is like, there, there are a lot of reasons, right, uh, why last year the season kind of went awry. So if you're making a blame pie, can you give me, like, a percentage of where, of how much blame everybody deserves? Oh, well, I would say everybody. I mean, look, you know, uh, you know Jarvis, Odell, uh, both, you know, had to go have, uh, you know, postseason injuries. So obviously these guys were playing hurt. Baker Mayfield took a while. He's never really admitted to it. But you could just see Baker Mayfield didn't have the same, you know, pop and energy in his body that he had in the 2018 season and anything that we saw I was in Oklahoma. Um, Freddie Kitchens, and look, I mean, we're all pretty much guilty, anybody that covers the Browns. We wanted it to go to Freddie. We didn't want somebody to come in in 2019 and say, you know what, I'll coach the Cleveland Browns. Because all these years, all these guys would have ran from the opportunity. So once it started to look good after a 2018 season that they finished 7-8-1, you didn't want somebody to now say, oh, well, yeah, look at this. This looks appealing now. Look, you don't want to come coach the Cleveland Browns or you don't. So I think that's why everybody wanted Freddie to get the opportunity. Um, and we saw quickly that he was in over his head and, you know, he ended up being somewhat of, you know, a puppet for, you know, general manager John Dorsey at the time, where John Dorsey has to have his hands on almost everything. Freddie Kitchens was a great, a perfect head coach for him to do that. And it was just too much, um, it was just too much negative coming down from the top and just the fact that the team wasn't playing well and then every week became must win and there were major, there were positional changes made week in, week out. And it just, 
began to overblow. I mean, the players, look, you're always going to have to blame the players. There's no way around that. They are the talent on the field. They are the ones that have to execute. But you saw what they were able to do in 2018 with less talent on the field and achieve much greater success. So obviously something had to get lost in the communication line between front office, coaching staff, and talent on the field that led to what was you know a pretty pretty poor effort that the 2019 Cleveland Browns put out. So what makes Kevin Stefanski different from uh, both Hugh Jackson and Freddie Kitchens? I think the thing that you know, like about Coach Kevin Stefanski is the first thing that first thing for me was you know his time in Minnesota. He made it through three head coaching regimes in Minnesota. He was a small time guy at the time he started with each head coach that came in to give him a little bigger piece of the pie, and he worked his way up, worked his way up. For a guy to stay with one franchise that long that went through that many head coaches, that shows you impre- it's impressive. It shows you that he's, he will do what he's asked. He will do even more than he's asked. Um, I think what, we, what we're starting to learn more with Coach Stefanski over the last couple of months, and obviously everything that's going on in this country, uh, not even just counting the coronavirus, is that Kevin Stefanski is he is for the change. He is for radical change in this country. He wants everybody to be treated equally. His players love it. He is encouraging them to be free to speak their minds and do what they feel is right. And I think that's where people are buying it. You look at what he did with Kirk Cousins last year, only six interceptions, running a wide zone scheme, which really, really works well with Nick Chubb, running a lot of the passing game off of the play-action game, which should really make things easier for Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, the one probably problem maybe that he does have sometimes is is Baker thinks he's a hero, thinks every throw can be made. How can you eliminate that? By going play action. It makes these passes so much easier. Um, you know, obviously it makes for you know, guys open a lot, you know, more wide open, a lot of easier throws. Um, I think all of this stuff is going to work well together. And I think they've all kind of bought into this, this classroom learning for Zoom and this stuff. And we're hearing that Baker shows up to almost every meeting, not just quarterback meetings. He shows up at running backs. He shows wide receivers, tight ends. He wants to know the verbiage that the coaches are saying to these guys. So that way, if he sees something and he needs to correct it or he needs to help somebody out, he's on page with everybody else. And to this point, it's just a really, really nice recipe. And I think for all the talent on the 2019 Browns, the players, I think that whack that they took basically in the mouth I think changed a lot of them. And even Baker, I mean, uh, Odell Beckham this week where everybody, you know, pontificating because Cam Newton's going to go to New England, that that's where he's headed. And, you know, Odell Beckham, you know, played it simple. No, 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 no. I'll be in Cleveland. I got unfinished business. I think every one of these guys know that the 2019 season was not the best representation of the players they are, and they are out in 2020 to prove that it is going to change. And that's also interesting, too, when you talk about, you know, the expectations we had for the Browns, the people had for the Browns last year. And it's funny that in the division, Baltimore ended up kind of becoming that team that people thought maybe the Browns, you know, if, if you had, if you, in the beginning of the year, if you were to bet, who's going to be the second year quarterback in that division to have the MVP year and be the number one seed? You probably would have said the Browns, not the Ravens. So where do you think Cleveland stacks up? Because to make the playoffs first, you have to win your division. How do you think they compare to the Ravens and to a lesser extent, Pittsburgh? Uh, well, th- this is where it's actually interesting because as bad as 2019 was, you know, the Browns, week four, went down to Baltimore, handled business, one going away by 16 points. Um, and now when they played in week 16, they, they had nothing left. I mean, they, they, they had no players left. Their defense was all injured. The offense at that point was pretty much, you know, just going mail in, realizing that they were not going to achieve their dreams. But they played 
out of eight quarters, they played Baltimore Ravens probably for six quarters, played them as tough as anybody else did in the NFL last year. They had a great idea how to play them. You know, part of it was, was A, you've got to score because you want to take the running game with Lamar away. Make him just be a traditional quarterback. If he can run, if he can throw, if he can run from the pocket, it's going to be a long, long day. They got themselves in a position where they were ahead, forcing Lamar to be a traditional quarterback, taking away his leg. So I, I look at 14 and two, and there's no way to get around that. Obviously, what Baltimore did last year, and obviously they you know, made some solid this off season. Whether it's a Calais Campbell, you know, whether you know they drafted some you know, some solid players, a J.K. Dobbins to come in and learn under Mark Ingram, they, they, they're just going to be able to retool. And they, the, the Ravens is they're going to be able to just probably come right back from where they were last year and repeat. So the fact that they're missing all these OTAs and look, everybody is. The team that was really successful in 2019 is something that's going to hurt you because you could have put in what you want to put in, but you know what your bread and butter is for now with the Ravens. So I, I think they can handle them. And it'll be interesting. I'm sure they're going to get to play them week one again in Baltimore is where the Browns will open up. So, you know, that will probably tell a lot. Pittsburgh, it, it's interesting because, and, you know, I get in this, you know, obviously a lot of Steelers fans. i just not sure Pittsburgh how we can just assume that Ben Roethlisberger at his age, after missing almost the entire 2019 season, with this elbow injury, he's just all of a sudden going to walk out there and be the Ben Roethlisberger we've known all these years. If he is, that's great. But even still, where is that window live for Pittsburgh afterwards? Um, you know, Eli has retired part of that class. Philip Rivers now in Indianapolis, and God knows Philip Rivers last year or two really started to look like, you know, the age was starting to show here. So it's not so much Pittsburgh I'm concerned about. Not obviously Cincinnati's, you know, going to be somewhat of a contender and get back into the mix here somewhat soon. But it's going to be Baltimore. Um, I think the thing for the Browns, and there's there's one stretch, and it's the third quarter of the year, and it covers the weeks of, you know, like, oh, it's almost November. And they got uh, three or four games there where they're playing four, uh, three out of four playoff teams from 2019. Um, that'll be the stretch that probably defines the 2020 Cleveland Browns season. I know, how can they handle that when they're playing up the last, upper echelon teams? It'll be Tennessee, it'll be Philly, you know, teams of that, it'll, that they're going to have to go through during that gauntlet. And that will be the test to ultimately state where the 2020 Browns are. They can get through that stretch two and two, three and one. You're, you could probably, you probably understand and see it in the sixth season and then going ahead and making a wild card. Now, what would you say is reasonable expectations? Because I know fans in Cleveland, they got really excited last year. And you got to, what would you say is reasonable expectations for the team this year? is within reason. I mean, they were that close in 2018. They really were. Um, and even last year, that Thursday night game where they beat Pittsburgh, which, uh, you know, ended up being, you know, the you know where Miles Garrett um, got suspended, they were playing well. They had a nice stretch there. They had, you know, they had Miami. They had the first Pittsburgh game. They had their first Cincinnati game. And then they were headed out to Pittsburgh one more time. Had they had Miles Garrett, knew that game would have gone a little bit different. Um, so I don't think it's that far off. And, and I think that the thing is with a coach like Freddie Kitchens, who is in over his head, once you realize you can't get it done, you try grasping it at any straw possible. And I think Freddie Kitchens started to look at, you know, how can I get three wins this Sunday? It wasn't going to work. Do everything you can just to get the W on this given day. I think the structure of this organization, this front office, this staff, the way it is now construed, it's going to be game day. There's going to be no blinders. It's going to be complete blinders. It is going to be on that kickoff at 1 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 7 o'clock, whenever it is. It will be on the task at hand. 
and I think that is going to bode much well, uh, bode much better, because I think last year it got to, all right, well, you know, there were some games on the schedule where you knew they were going to be difficult, but then when they spit a bit against a couple of games where you, you, know, you lose a game you shouldn't, now all of a sudden it's, well, you know, now we got to try to come back and win two more, and, and they just ended up chasing their tails. I think the way this is structured, this won't be something that's going to go through on in 2020. Now, let me go back to Baker really quickly. So, when he's having the miss of that great rookie, I think most people would have said he's the best quarterback in his class. He has the next year that was kind of a struggle. I think people would have knocked him down. Where do you think coming into his third year, he's in a class with guys like Josh Allen, Sam Donald, Lamar Jackson, who have all they've all kind of had success and ups and downs in their career. How would you rank those four? I don't. I don't know how you can't put Lamar Jackson in number one. Obviously, um, you know now a league MVP. Um, and Josh Allen, it's a different type of football and that they're playing in Buffalo. They're playing really good defense. They're running the ball. Um, but you saw it the playoff game last year. You know, what did Houston do? All right, well, if you want to beat us, we're going to make 17 beat us. Josh just isn't there as the passer yet as these other three guys. For, so for me, Josh is probably going to be on the bottom. And it's not really a knock. Obviously, Josh Allen went to the playoffs last year. There's a good chance Buffalo is going to be predicted by many people to win the AFC East this year. But if you're just talking playing the position – you know, Sam Darnold, obviously, better, you know, better overall quarterback at throwing the ball than him. Um, you know, had you know some really good moments down the stretch. Sam Darnold finishing the season last year six and two, but I'll still keep Baker at two. And this is the thing there where it gets like a little aggravating because everybody, it's you know, it's such a high or low business. Um, after the 2018 season, was Baker Mayfield maybe ranked too high out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah, probably. But then after a 2019 season in some rough circumstances, everybody wants to drop them all away. You know, so it's like, well, which one is it? I mean, you need to take, obviously you're going to take the good, you're going to take the bad. Um, but this is year three, we'll tell the tale. We've seen him be a really, really good quarterback in this league. We've seen him as a second-year quarterback try to force things, you know, cost, you know, cost his team games by you know, carelessness with the football. But I, I think... You can't, if you just want to say Baker Mayfield, as far as overall quarterbacks in the NFL, is middle of the pack, I'd say that's fair. But I think way too many people want to take what his 2019 season was and say that this is the quarterback Baker Mayfield was, but we're going to ignore everything he did at Oklahoma. We're going to ignore his rookie year. But because, you know, he has rush stretch during the 2019 season, now all of a sudden he's a pump. Um, you know, it, it, in the quarterback position, and it's, it's just ridiculous the way it works. Is it such a what have you done for me lately business? And you know because Baker had a rough 2019, his game is not getting the overall respect it deserves. Nobody's putting in the previous four years of football that Baker Mayfield played. Um, it just for me no, but I mean Lamar one, Baker two, Sam three, uh, Josh Allen four, and you know with those top three, I, I, I mean it could change by the end of this season. I mean it was a really really great quarterback class. Cleveland had a really really difficult decision to make. There were a lot of guys on the board. Um, they could have gone, obviously, any one of these ways with holding the number one overall pick. I don't think the franchise regrets Baker Mayfield at this point. I just think they want to see, you know, hopefully start to see some rewards. And rewards are people sitting in the stands in January and watching a playoff game. Now, it sounds like in terms of tier, you have Josh Allen. Like, you think all three of Sam Donald, Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield are a completely different tier than Josh Allen is from what I'm reading from you. I like Josh Allen. I like the player he is, and I love what Buffalo is doing with him. But Josh has some improvement needed in the passing game. Um, look, he's got the big arm, but the touch and that stuff, it's got to come, and it's the hardest thing to do for a guy his size. Um, but look, if you go back to the first New England game last year, if he didn't get hurt, Buffalo most likely wins that game. 
He almost beat New England on the road later on in the season. What Josh Allen does works for the Buffalo Bills. But if we're just going to talk pure overall quarterback skills in those guys, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I had him a little below. But in the same respect, you know, Josh Allen obviously went to a playoff game last year. Now, you have Baker in the middle, right? You have him two, have him higher than Darnold and not as high as Lamar. How, how, where would you kind of tier Baker? Is he closer to Darnold or closer to Lamar? I would say he's closer to Darnold um, because him and Darnold, obviously, you know, like we just said before, if he kind of flip-flopped their years, you know, obviously Sam finished 19 hot, Baker 18 was hot. Um, I think more traditional pocket passers. Obviously, Josh Allen with his side, with his running ability. You know, Lamar is just this freak. Uh, you know, you know, you know. I mean, you hate to say Michael Vickish, but when you have a quarterback that can run four four, uh, can toss the pill all over the yard, this special, special breed, different, different type of guys. I'd say you know Baker and Sam is probably more of the one where you're going to look back. I mean, because you know they can do some things with their legs. It's not their strong suit. Um, if they're going to beat you, it's going to be with their brains and it's going to be with their arms. I have to ask you this. How shocked were you when the whole Lamar Jackson phenomenon was going on last year? Like, like when were you like, oh, my gosh? Yeah, I never – see, the thing – and, you know, obviously, you know, covering the Browns, we covered this, you know, that quarterback class for months leading up to Baker Mayfield being drafted one overall. The thing with Lamar was going to be, were you going to use him correctly if you took him? And, you know, Baltimore, their plan in place for him is perfect. Um, they've given him time to grow and develop as a passer while using the natural gifts that a guy has given him with running the ball. I, I, I'm not stunned. For me, it was just let's just not put this kid somewhere and just basically make him be something he's not. Use the athleticism. Use the legs. And for Baltimore, it, it's worked out absolutely perfect. Obviously, they were in a situation where they didn't have to start him week one as a rookie, found his way in there, started to grow with it, and then it was working. Um, then the playoff game with the Chargers that they didn't win, and, you know, they got behind, and it was like, all right, kid, look, you got to toss the ball here. You don't have to throw it. And, you know, he ended up making a ton of throws and made the game closer than it was. Obviously, they eventually lost. I didn't have doubts that Lamar Jackson could succeed in this league. I'm certainly not going to say I thought he was going to be an MVP in his second season. But I think the thing with Lamar was you needed people who were going to be intelligent enough to use everything he had at his disposal and use it correctly. And, look, Baltimore Ravens, um, they don't make very many bad moves. Um, so when they did it, and obviously, you know, with the offense coordinator they had, you know, uh, part of the Ka- Kaepernick offense in San Francisco years ago, it's just worked out perfect. And as he continues to grow as a passer, they add to the weapons he's got at the receiving and the tight end position. They won't have to rely on him running the ball as much anymore, which is good, obviously, because, you know, with these running quarterbacks and the style of the running quarterback that it is, and, you know, Lamar does not have Josh Allen's body. Um, so he can't really uh, sustain the punishment that a Josh Allen can here. So as the years go on, maybe they can wean away some of the running. So hopefully to keep, you know, Lamar's uh, longevity intact. Well, Jeff, I have to say, it probably wouldn't be fair if uh, Lamar had Josh Allen's body. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, I mean, then you talk, he can't move. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but much faster. Yeah, a faster version of camp. Uh <laughs> Now, you, you mentioned this, right? So, Baker, a lot of people as a rookie year had him a little bit too high. You know, he's probably not that good. But then his second year, people have him, in your opinion, a little bit too low. And it's like, where are we going? Where do you think is his proper tier in the quarterback hierarchy in the NFL? Like, like what type of guys do you think he's around where we can say, okay, Baker's in that class of quarterback? Uh, well, 
I mean, she, it's, and this is, this is the weirdest thing is because this time in the NFL, I mean, the turnover at the position has just gotten so insane. I mean, you look at, you know, look at the NFC, you look at the NFC East, Carson Wentz is the veteran of the NFC East at this point, which is crazy. I mean, he still seems like he's just a kid. Um, then you look at the NFC South, where there's quarter, I mean, the, yeah, the NFC South, where there's quarterbacks everywhere. Um, I would say you're gonna, you know, you'd say he's probably, you know, anywhere, you know, from the 13 to the 17 range. He's middle of the pack, and that's factoring in 18. If we're gonna talk about these guys, you got to talk about everything they've done, not just what was last season. Is everybody saying Tom Brady's a bum because he, you know, he started to show some age last year? No, nobody's gonna say that. Why? Because he's Tom Brady. So if you're gonna take one, if you're gonna take everybody's career, use what you got. Use everything to this point. He is not the turnover-prone quarterback that he was in 19, but he also might not be the guy that did not miss a throw at times in 2018. I mean, there are times where we're talking first halves where he was, you know, 16-18 for 205 and three scores. You know, that's not necessarily very normal. Um, Baker Mayfield, he's middle of the pack with this offense, with the skill he's now going to have around him this year, where it's almost ultimately going to be easier for Baker Mayfield, and it should be. Um, you know, could he crack the top 10? He probably could. His TFS scores in 2018 showed he was a really, really smart, intelligent quarterback. Um, I think he's certainly capable of getting back to that level as far as long as Coach Stefanski, as long as his offensive line works and as long as Coach Stefanski's offensive system works with all these players he's got. Baker should be able to maneuver himself up to that top 10 range as we're starting to get, you know, some of these quarterbacks dropping in the league as far as age. Um, the Bears situation was ever going on a quarterback position there. You know, some of these teams where they're still struggling to find out who's going to be the next future quarterback for their franchise. Not to ask you, so who was worse in your opinion, Hugh Jackson or Freddie Kitchens? Well, it, 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 it's Hugh Jackson. There's, there's just no way around it. Um, look, I mean, the thing with the thing with Freddie Kitchens is like there's the old line of you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, I, that was Freddie Kitchens. You know, like, everything was great. You know, he, he talked the talk. And then, you know what, when you get on, I mean, literally, there were, t- I mean, there were times where he was still arguing with officials and the Browns were going to delay a game penalty. It's like, no, you are the head coach. Get to the next play. Let your assistant, let somebody else yell at the officials because he didn't like the call. you got to get a play into the huddle. The problem with Hugh is Hugh just thinks he's the smartest man in the room and where it got really, really old and how in for the life of me, I can never understand how an NFL franchise had a head coach who was one thirty one and said, yep, you know what? We'll give him a third year. And by doing that, you know, and you know, got him in there. And the first time he meets Baker Mayfield, you know, points to Tyrod Taylor and says, Hey, you know, you could be that guy one day. If you really put the work in, you just drafted Baker Mayfield number one overall. You better have higher hopes for him than maybe one day he could beat Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> and, and, then, and it was just the way everything was said. And then, uh, you know, I got to look at the tape. What happened here? Why didn't this work out? I got to look at the tape. Well, it's Monday morning. Why didn't you look at the tape yet? And it was just so much about him. And it was just, it was a, an ego thing. And like he thought he was the smartest man in the room. And then you're talking to 22, 23 year old kids like, dude, you're one in 31. You've won one game. And you're out here talking like you goddamn Vince Lombardi. And that was just became Hugh's final undoing is he could just never adapt to the fact that, hey, we're not really good, but hopefully you guys work hard. I'm going to bust my ass coaching this team. 
we can get ourselves on the road to being good. That was just, it, it never worked out for Hugh that way. Ironically enough, here we are in 2020, and Hugh Jackson still is not employed. So, <laughs> Hugh, Hugh thinks he's uh, Bill Belichick without the success, the success, right? <laughs> well, it, it's just, it is, it's stuff of that nature, and, and you know, it's, Look, I'm not saying you got to tell everybody. Look, I suck. But I mean, you, you be a little bit more modest. A little bit more modest. <laughs> but you can't act like you're the smartest man in the room, and you can't win games. And you know, and you know, and, and even the thing where you know, who knows if Tyrod Taylor didn't get hurt in that Thursday night game against the Jets, when would they have put Baker Mayfield on the field? Also, you know, Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb almost. Nick Chubb was at 200 yards off of leading the AFC in rushing as a rookie, and he didn't start until week nine. Imagine if he had maybe used him week one. What would that have done? Maybe it would have put you to, to some better positions. He just, he got himself in, just, he, he did himself in by, you know, with ego and just not being able to adapt and understand the circumstances that you were trying to take a bunch of young kids and climb the mountain with them. Hugh, by bringing in Todd Hale, you had ties to John Dorsey, if we do move on from Hugh, we've got Todd Haley here. Todd Haley was no better. That's why they both got shown the damn door at the same time. Um, they just they didn't have their ducks in a row. Um, and, it, you know, obviously it came back. It's a bite him in the ass. And, you know, Freddie and Greg Williams did a fantastic job closing out the 2018 season. A lot of people felt that maybe Greg Williams deserved the opportunity. Greg Williams is never going to be a head coach in the NFL again. Um, he should just be happy with the fact that he's got a defensive coordinator role. I mean, everybody knows what he was guilty of back in the day. He's not going to get the head coaching job. They went with Freddie. You know, that bit him. But, I mean, what bit him was maybe not making the move. I mean, you had the number one overall pick. Your head coach was 1-31 at the time. Not only did you have the number one overall pick, you had the number four overall pick. You could have brought in a head coach at the time. But then again, not a lot of people are always in a hurry to go work with John Dorsey either. So they tried to do what they did, but he lasted, you know, he got an opportunity at that third year. And it was just the same old, same old. And even as the team won, he still, he tried to make the win seem like it was Hugh Jackson, as opposed to the fact that maybe they had this hot shot, hot shot rookie quarterback. They had this young defensive end who was a ridiculous talent. Now, my last question for you. What were you thinking the moment the Miles Garrett-Mason Rudolph incident happened on Thursday night football? It was actually, <laughs> as I'm sitting there watching the seconds go down, and, you know, we'll always do a post-game show directly after the show, so, you know, setting everything up. Just excited. You know, this franchise is huge. It's Thursday night football. They needed this. You know, they, they needed this for themselves, for the city. And then that happens. Um, I... I'm one look. You know, Miles Garrett, something was said to Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is a guy who's hosted a Game of Thrones series finale party for fans. He's hosted a dog meet and greet with his dog and fans in a park. He's bought somebody an iPhone in the store that he just saw. Um, he is just this genuinely nice guy and the biggest, baddest nerd you'll probably ever meet. Something set Miles Garrett off. Um, I, I will not believe otherwise something was said and, you know, that time bomb was lit. But as we watched it all unfold and it just, you know, we went to the postgame show and, you know, great win tonight, but um, Miles Garrett's season's over and guess what? So is probably the Brown season because you are now devoid of the best player that the Cleveland Browns had. So what do you think of the fact that the NFL said they couldn't find any audio? 
Are you going to tell me a Thursday night primetime game? Nobody. Nobody's like, no audio nowhere. Yeah, you can say, and I mean, this, this also, also sounds a lot you know, more, uh, you remember, you know, when Ray Rice had the incident with his wife in Atlantic City and the NFL said, hey, we called, they didn't have any footage. Meanwhile, TMZ had the footage in 35 seconds. Um, the NFL seems to have a, a, a lovely ability to get the information they choose to get and somehow not get their hands on the information they do not want to get their hands on. So can I say like this, is it possible, right, you know, with the Colin Kaepernick thing, you know, the NFL has always kind of been considered a league that maybe isn't as socially, per, uh, you know, socially, uh, in terms of social justice, maybe other leagues like the NBA, et cetera, right? So maybe that they maybe have audio, but they decided it would not be in the best interest for their brand to have that put out there. I would, I would 100% agree with that. Okay, that's a different person I look way, uh, to look at it. I do also want to ask you this about the, how the whole incident starts. So this is my opinion, right? So I played football before. I don't know if you played football before. So there's like 10 seconds yep. left in the game. Uh, and just the N-word, the racial slur aside, what goes on. He, Miles Garrett sacks Mason Rudolph. Now, and, and takes him down kind of unnecessarily hard. And, and then I guess my opinion about it is, right, there's 10 seconds left. You already have the game in hand. You didn't even really need to sack him. And... Mason Rudolph, for better or for worse, you know, he's had the worst game of his career on uh, national TV in front of everybody. <laughs> kind of going to be the butt of everybody's joke. So that's going on. So I get kind of why then Mason Rudolph retaliates and kind of grabs his face back like, get off of me. And then Miles Garrett kind of takes it to another level because he's, you know, the bigger, stronger man. And then he takes off his helmet, then he tries to whack him. And then Mason Rudolph runs through it. So just to slur everything aside, do you? Who do you think is kind of more to blame for that ignited? Because I feel like that could have easily been prevented, just on its face. Oh, look! I mean, it, you can say whatever you want, and you know, look, whatever possibly could have been said, you got to keep it cool. It's you know, and look, it's not going to be the first time that somebody on a football field has been called something, whether it's race related or something they didn't want to hear. You got to keep your cool, and you know, Miles Garrett. To his credit, admitted it and said, "Look, you know, it, it, it's on me. You know, I, you know, I let myself lose control. There's no consequences. You know, there's nothing good that came from it. You know, I lost my cool. I have now cost my team. Um, it's on him. I mean, you know, we've heard the stories of what's been said. You know, I, you know what, what goes on in the trenches and what guys say to each other on a field. You can't let it get to you. Obviously, you can't ever let it escalate to the to the spot it did. You know, there's a lot of people saying, what was Miles Garrett even doing on the field at that point? That's, I guess it's a fair question." But if it's going to be the last play of the game and one of the biggest victories that would have been in Miles' career to the time of Cleveland, he wants to be on the field. He deserves to be on the field just like anybody else. And here's a guy you never really had a question of or a history of you know, whether or not he would, you know, lose it. You know, I mean, he's not Montez Burtek, for God's sakes. Um, just a strange, unfortunate incident. You know, Miles has paid his price for it. Um, he still seems like he's still the guy he always was. He's calm, cool, collected. He enjoys the fan base. He just enjoys just sometimes just being a normal person, liking things just like everybody else. He just happens to be a ridiculous athlete who is really, really good at football. Jeff, thank you for that. I really appreciate you coming on the show, guy. I really appreciate it. No problem at all, Daryl. And cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to explain why football is the most American game ever. Cut him next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk.
my boots What's a country boy to do But say, uh-huh Smile, beat my chest up You're downright dangerous That shaking you giddy up Got my eyes going Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. And once again, I want to thank Jeff Lloyd, host of the Locked On Browns podcast, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Love the knowledge he was able to give about the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, the whole deal. I uh, really appreciate it. And I hope to have him on the show again. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have my top 10, Daryl Lane's top 10. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have my top 10 NFL players who I would love to see play on different teams and lead the current teams they are on right now. So let's start. At number 10, I have Larry Fitzgerald. He has played his whole career with the Arizona Cardinals. He's only been to one Super Bowl, the one where they played the Pittsburgh Steelers when he had Kurt Warner, and Larry Fitzgerald has suffered from having atrocious quarterback play his whole career, basically, in Arizona. Besides the brief period where Kurt Warner was really good and had kind of a career resurgence, he's been playing with a bunch of scrubs. So I want to see Larry Fitzgerald get into a contending situation. A contending situation with a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback where we can see Larry Fitzgerald on more national TV games and we can potentially see him in another Super Bowl. Because he's a guy that's done it the the right way. I love everything about him. I love the fact that he blocks as a wide receiver. I love the fact that he doesn't complain for the ball and he deserves much better than what he's been giving in Arizona. And number nine, I have Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams has already made the news for requesting a trade from the New York Jets. Uh, Some teams that were on his uh, trade request list were the Dallas Cowboys, Philadelphia Eagles, Houston Texans. Jamal Adams is another guy. He's not going to get seen on national TV with the Jets. Most people only know how good Jamal Adams is if you really, really follow football. But you're not seeing a whole lot of Jamal Adams on Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football. You want to know why? Because the Jets suck and they're not going to be in the playoffs. So I want Jamal Adams to be on a stage where we can see how good he is and not be with the ineptitude that has been the New York Jets. At number eight, Matthew Stafford, one of the most underrated quarterbacks of the last decade because Detroit is historically one of the worst organizations. He has never truly had a great head coach. Matt Patricia is kind of struggling right now. Matt Stafford had a a point in his career where he was throwing for 5,000 yards, having 400, 500-yard passing games, and the team was still losing. I want to see Matt Stafford go to another team with an offensive-minded coach where he can kind of get it together and we can see Matt Stafford have a little bit more winning success. At number seven, Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley suffers from the same thing that Jamal Adams is, and I don't know why Saquon Barkley doesn't request a trade. As a running back, you only have a finite time to where you're good and you can maximize your value and your skill set. It would be a shame when we start seeing Saquon Barkley have a bunch of tremendous winning success when he's 28, 29, and he's no longer in that physical peak, that physical prime of his career. I think the way he plays, there are contenders that could be able to use him. Similarly, to imagine how the Saints use Alvin Kamara or how the Carolina Panthers use Christian McCaffrey. We should be seeing Saquon Barkley be used like that on a bigger stage. And I know New York's a big stage, but it's not a winning stage right now. At number six, A.J. Green, another guy that has spent his whole career with an inept franchise. He's never won a playoff game. And part of that's because he played with Andy Dalton. He's going to be playing with Joe Burrow this upcoming season. And Cincinnati is not making the playoffs anytime anytime soon with the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cleveland Browns in that division. 
So I think the best thing to do is to trade AJ Green to a contender where we can see AJ Green more because the Bengals haven't been relevant for four or five years, right? I think we're forgetting a little bit that at one point people argued is AJ Green better than Julio Jones. And I think we need to get back to that discussion. And at number five, coincidentally, we have Julio Jones. Another guy I love, just like Larry Fitzgerald and AJ Green too. They all, they never complain. They block, they do whatever they're asked. And Julio had an opportunity to win a Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons when they were up 28-3 against the New England Patriots. And then Tom Brady and Bill Belichick did uh, what they always seem to do to teams and uh, come back and kind of mentally break you a little bit. But Julio, I, I think the Atlanta's on the downswing. Julio, I think he needs to go for his, the second half of his career. He needs to go to a better team where he can have a little bit more success, better coach, better quarterback. Number four, Khalil Mack. Now, Kalumak is the first guy on this list. All these other guys, Fitzgerald, Jamal Adams, Matt Stafford, Saquon, Bartley, Saquon Barkley, A.J. Green, Julio Jones, they've all played with one team their whole career. Khalil Mack, if he gets traded or leaves, he'd be on the third team for his career, right? He's with the Oakland Raiders, now the LA, now the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, now he's with the Chicago Bears. I don't want to see Khalil Mack waste his prime years with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles as his quarterback, particularly Mitch Trubisky. Khalil Mack is too talented for, for us to not see him right rushing the passer, having a lead, and getting after the quarterback. Like how we saw him a couple uh, opening nights, I believe it was Sunday Night Football, when we saw him wreck Aaron Rodgers and the Packers for a half, where they just couldn't do anything with the guy. So if Chicago doesn't get together, I, I think Khalil Mack needs a better situation. At number three, I have Joey Bosa. The lesser-known Bosa brother, even though he's been in the NFL longer. You know why everybody talks about Nick Bosa? Because not only is he really good, that's obvious, but because he plays for the San Francisco 49ers. They're on national TV. They're in the playoffs. They were just the Super Bowl. Joey Bosa needs to go to a team like that where he, his skill set can be highlighted and shown because it's being wasted with the Chargers right now, and nobody goes to the games in L.A. because there are a hell of a lot of other stuff to do in L.A. than watch Chargers football games, and they're not going to be good in the foreseeable future as it seems that they're building a with a young quarterback in Justin Herbert, and they're in a kind of in a rebuilding phase. At number two, and this is something that we're probably going to see in the next couple years, Aaron Rodgers. As the Packers begin to usher in the Jordan Love era, we are going to see Aaron Rodgers slowly be phased out. A kind of a Brett Favre-like situation, I'm assuming that's going to be happening. I think the Packers have done an awful job in Aaron Rodgers' whole career of putting talent around him. There's a crazy stat. As long as Aaron Rodgers has been the starting quarterback, the first offensive player, offensive line, wide receiver, running back included, tight end, whatever you want to call them, all included. The first offensive player that the Packers have drafted in the first round has been quarterback Jordan Love. And you want to know who was the last offensive player before that that they drafted in the first round? Aaron Rodgers. We went from a span from 2005 when Rodgers was drafted to 2020 where they did not draft an offensive player in between to help their quarterback out. That makes no sense, and I think Aaron Rodgers deserves better, and he probably will go to another team. And we're seeing this more and more. Peyton Manning, we never thought he'd leave Indy. He went to Denver. Tom Brady, I never thought he'd leave New England, and he's in Tampa. It happens. And at number one, 
J.J. Watt, Hall of Famer. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. One of the greatest defensive players to ever play the game. Multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards. I think he's wasting his time with Bill O'Brien in Houston. I think he needs to go to a bigger stage. I, he's at the point of his career where he, I think he he was drafted in 2010, so he has to be in his 30s right now, where his, his career is going to soon start to get on the downswing, and I don't want to see him waste these last super productive years where he can be a really good and be a, a big difference maker with a team that seems to be in a little bit of limbo with Bill O'Brien, who people criticize. They just they just traded away DeAndre Hopkins for what it makes seems like makes no sense. And we don't even know how long Deshaun Watson might want to be there. So I think J.J. Watt, I would love to see him on another team. And that's my Daryl Lane's top 10 players in the NFL I would love to see on another team. Now, here's where I want to go before we end the show. Football. little 4th of July kind of tie-in right here. So I was really thinking about this. Why is football so popular? And it's really interesting, right? So when people talk about basketball, which I think people can make an argument is the second most popular sport in the country, why isn't as popular as basketball? And I think it's basketball. If you go in a rural area, a country area, the people there aren't necessarily talking about basketball. They don't care about LeBron. They don't care about Kevin Durant. If you ask them about Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, they'll be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kansas City's country. They all love Patrick Mahomes. Right, I, I think when you get into that, football football does that these other sports don't. What hockey, what soccer, what baseball, it's American. It's our game, right? Like people in Europe get mad at people in Europe don't like the NFL because we literally stole their name. Soccer is called football, and football and what the NFL did is they said, hey, let's steal it and make it American. The NFL is. Our football. People in Europe don't like that. I don't think people realize that. People in Europe do not like that. But soccer is the world's game. The NFL is our game, our American game, kind of showing that American nationalism. You have basketball. Like I said, basketball is global. It's not our game. Canada, hockey. Hockey is a Canadian sport. It's not our sport. It's not the American sport. Baseball. There's always criticisms about baseball. It's too slow. It's too boring. Even if you go back to basketball, right? Some people will say, you're not tough if you play basketball. You can't say any of that about football. You can't say it's not American because it's the most American sport out there. You can't say that it's it's soft because it's the physically toughest sport out there. You can't say that it's not fast-paced and exciting because there's up-tempo and there's a lot of stuff going on. So, you, so you, it checks every box. You can have a guy that is six foot, a buck 80, Playing in the NFL as a kicker. Playing football as a kicker. And you can have a guy that's 6'6", 295, playing as a D-end. Gives you a lot of, it gives you a lot, a lot of ways. It gives you a lot of options for people to play. And then it crosses through multiple divisions in American society. If you're from the country, a rural area, you love football. If you're from the suburbs, you love football. If you're from the city, the inner city, you love football. That's what all those groups of people have in common. If you can intersect from race, uh, gender, sex, whatever, they all love football. You ask them, but if you ask those same group of people about hockey, baseball, and basketball, you are going to get vastly different answers. But you're all going to get the same answer from football. That is why football is the most American game 
and that is why it is so popular. Now, I want to thank everybody for uh, listening to this episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Also, again, I want to thank Jeff Lloyd, host of the Locked On Browns podcast, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode, the 176th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Still stand